Welcome to The Executive Appeal, a show that convenes the world's most powerful and successful leaders to share mentoring and career advancement advice to help you successfully transition into senior level executive positions. I'm your host, Alex Trumbull, award-winning speaker, author, and leadership expert with over a decade of experience coaching and advising some of our nation's most senior level government leaders. So if you're ready to reach your goals, let's get started. Hello, everyone. This is Alex Trimble. Man, oh, man, today. <laughs> today is a good day. See, today I have a phenomenal leader with me, Mr. Michael Winderoth. And Michael Winderoth, he, he's, a, he's a special guy. You're, you're going to hear today because he's going to teach us some magnificent stuff that's going to help you elevate your career. And, you know, look, the reality is, is he is, yes, an international um, expert in leadership and executive coaching. He's, he's Yes, he's that. Yes, he's the author of the book, a wonderful book, Get Promoted, Where You're Really Missing at Work. <laughs> Sorry, What You're Really Missing at Work That's Holding You Back. I, I, I've read the book. It's a really, really good book and a really good resource. It reminds me of so many great stories that we'll be talking about. So look, without any further ado, my good friend, Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Alex, and I am glad we are connected here <laughs> through the internet and we are both super adaptable, able to overcome that technical difficulty. And actually that just warmed us both up. So I'm looking forward to this conversation as well. So look, we're just gonna jump in like double touch, okay? I'm gonna be real with you. You are a very, very smart man who works with leaders all across the world and so, um, you are someone after my own heart. Um, you're, you're not about the BS. You, you want to cut through and help people advance. So can we start? So many questions. I'm going to ask. I'm going to give you two questions. You choose which one you want to answer first. OK, the sure. first question, either you can answer. Um, do you want to start off with ta- telling people how to get over on people? Or do you want to um, start with how to make people think you care when you really don't? Is Because is, that's what you teach, right? so the second one is how to make people think you care when you don't yes great skill to have (laughs) and the first one was again how to get over on people how to get over on people (laughs) okay so let's let's take the second one okay (laughs) how to make people think you care when you really don't and I, i mean part of this is first to look at yourself Right. I think this and we can we're probably going to unpack this. It's going to come up here about the word authenticity, um, because everything is about authentic leadership now. And I think that word, you know, we live in this labels and sound bites gets overused Mm -hmm. because people say, well, authentic means me telling exactly what's on my mind and everything that's going on. And the truth is when we're working in organizations, we're always working with people. And there are moments where the situation calls for, you've got to get people on your side. You've got to create alliances. And so, you know, without talking about kind of techniques, the first part is just you realizing that, you know, certain times you need to show up in different ways. You need to make people feel different things. And so, Authenticity is not this very simple, shallow definition of always kind of tell the truth, right? If we were always going around, it's like those cartoons above your head of exactly what you were thinking. (laughs) We'd all be in a load of trouble. (laughs) Um, I mean, we've seen that with our significant others, with people we work with. But think about, you know, when you're in a good mood or when you feel like someone respects you, certain Mm -hmm. fundamental things. 
you're more open to having a conversation. Yeah. Because if you're not even open to having a conversation, you're never going to like enter in any type of collaboration or other things. So I would say this part of this, this question is first kind of perhaps getting over your own inhibitions of yeah. you being fake or false or showing up in a certain way. So first thinking about kind of yourself and, and how, if you want to be effective, certain things you may need to do. See, everyone, see, this is why Michael's awesome. So he, he knew I was baiting him with the question. He knew I was baiting him. He had a wonderful answer. So, you know, but again, so many people are finding it hard to, to, to walk that line between being quote unquote authentic and um, being effective, right? I, I love the word that you just use, effective. Um, there is a reality. Uh, my, my wife doesn't always listen to our episodes. I can use this example. There is some stuff the other day my wife was doing. I was like, oh, this is so annoying. But you know what? If I say it, it's just going to cause a fight. It's going to cause, I mean, it was something ridiculous. You know, she's, she's going to be upset with me. It's not necessary. Let me just let it go. But some people would say, no, you need to speak your truth. You know, in, in a working situation, if a supervisor says something, you don't like it, you should speak your truth. If, if you don't agree with a direction of where the organization is heading, you should speak your truth. Where are you telling people not to speak their truth? I'm not saying that at all. I, what you need to do is you need to to pick your battles. OK, I, I sometimes don't like to move into military analogies here, but it is really thinking about what are the opportune moments and mm. This, this idea does work, right, of pick your battles. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to kind of win the larger thing, or it's not about me winning, you losing, it's about win-win, yeah. um, is to think about, right, what are the, the little things to just let go of? What are the things that really do make a difference? And I think the one with your spouse is a good example. You knew that if you went in and said that, it was just going to ruin the rest of the day, perhaps mm-hmm. the rest of the week. I mean, I see that we can take these examples into work. We can take them in with my teenage son. (laughs) (laughs) Plenty of those existing. I think a lot of people can relate to that. But, you know, what is your larger goal that you're trying to achieve? Yeah. And, hey, there's there's some give and take that goes on. Um, But, you know, when there are certain injustices or things, yes, sometimes you've got to speak. And I'm not saying to shut that down at all. Yeah. so to keep those kind of points in mind and yeah, there'll be times where you do need to kind of stand up and know when things have crossed the line and you need to, to call things out. Other times, a lot of people, a lot of leaders I work with sometimes just, they just get hung up on little battles and that gets them distracted, worked up or <laughs> linking back to things you say, other people will bait you into that. Oh, yeah. Because when you are frustrated and you get hung up on those little things, you cannot think strategically and get things done. Federal open season is over, but you can apply for WEPA life insurance year round. WEPA has been insuring the future of federal employees for more than 75 years. WEPA can be used as a supplement or replacement for family and can cost less. Last year, members who switched saved $375 on average. Apply for WEPA Group Term Life Insurance and see how much you could save by visiting waepa.org today. 
you, you know, there's another question I want to ask you, but I, literally I was speaking at this conference uh, like last week, actually. And one of the, you know, speaking on relationship building um, and being doing it strategically. And one person asked, well, how do you, how do you deal with like when you're angry? Like how, how do you maintain your, your emotion and composure? Because like you said, people can bait you and you, and you can be elevated and that won't look good if you blow up. Um, you know, I told my, I used to have a really bad temper. Like growing up, I got into a lot of fights. Anyone said anything about my mom, it was, it was on and cracking. Right. Um, and what I realized when I got to high school was that, you know, really football was my only way out of where I lived. And if I got in the fights, I would not um, have an opportunity to play football. I'd be in that town, probably stuck. And um, so I'd become very, very cognizant of my, of, of my feelings, of my emotions. And when I told them, and I told them this story and I was like, look, I have, you know, I, I advocate med- uh, meditation for everyone, but like, I know I'm very cognizant. When I, I can feel my heart starting to beat a little faster. I can, I can feel my, my hands starting to tremble a little bit, maybe my voice get a little sticky. And I, I know, oh my God, this is not good for anyone. Let me step back from this situation and, and compose myself. Like, do, do you, you know, again, I know this is out of the blue, but do you, how do you work with your your clients? Uh, have, do you have any clients who've ever had challenges in like maintaining composure when someone is trying to bait them? Oh, I think we've all got that, and yeah, that's a that's a that's a big challenge because really, if you want to be strategic, you need to be able to manage your emotions or channel the right emotion. And so, what you said there, and I think you've laid it out <laughs> really well, is to notice what some of the triggers are. You know, what is the, the presenting thing or the sign that you're about to, you know, blow the fuse? And for you, it's the noticing uh, the, the heartbeat's picking up or another piece, you know, if, yeah. if you notice certain words or certain things that are happening. So a lot of this is like, you know, I think many of us are familiar with sports analogies, kind of like when you go back and watch the tapes. And so just having someone think back to these episodes where you lose your composer where is that kind of trigger moment Mm. because then if you start to see those you can yet generally you need to just pause (laughs) yeah hit the pause button so you can be strategic think about what is the kind of response you want to have in that moment it might be walking away it may be replacing what would be an angry backlash with something else. And I think here we can learn a lot from therapists. I mean, I certainly have learned um, from colleagues in that, you know, arena. Um, but as coaches, it's it's helping people kind of look through that and realize what are their triggers and what do they want to replace it with. So that you need to be kind of in control and manage your emotions or name those emotions so that you can be strategic and and channel the right emotion or response in a particular situation and not do something you regret. Yeah. Yeah, you, uh, I, I want. I'm going to ask another question, but um, actually, no. I mean, sorry, I'm thinking while I'm thinking. Um, so you, you you mentioned your your clients earlier, and I, I I made the point to intentionally say that you are an extremely experienced international executive leadership coach. Um, you wrote this book, get promoted. What made you write this book? Um, 
And I'm, I'm, I'm asking this because this, you and I have talked before, this book, there's another book, you know, you and I both know power. It's different than many other leadership books. Can you explain the difference and then why you felt like you needed to write this book? I mean, I'm getting somewhere. Yeah. So <laughs> it's funny because we we're just talking about triggers and anger. Um, and, and I will go back and say, you know, as I went through my career, mid-career, and I looked at a lot of people, peers or people I'd gone to college with and so forth, or I looked around me, there was a certain amount of anger. Let me be blunt. Because, <laughs> you know, first it was me and then seeing others. Then it was clients who came to me. But basically, I saw people who were great in terms of intellect, smart, hardworking, really crank things out, self-effacing, humble people, like the ones you want as leaders. And guess what? They were stalling out, feeling frustrated, overlooked, hitting ceilings. Mm -hmm. And then there was this other group of people who let's, let's give some of the things that we feel right. Ah, they're super political. They're, 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 they're blowing smoke. Um, they're really not, you know, that smarter doing great work. And they were largely the ones who are ascending. So it kind of defied a lot of our values of, you know, who should be at the top, you know, this, this notion of the, the ethical great leader. And so that really frustrated me. And, and then I had a lot of clients who came. And, and, and on top of that, they said, you know what? I'm doing a lot of the things that I hear about in the leadership literature or the popular leadership literature, the TED Talks, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, being authentic, I'm uh, transparent, I'm positive. All areas that have very good and useful aspects to them. But they said, I'm doing these things. And then the people who are rising aren't embodying these things at all. Um, and first of all, that's just tragic because we know these people who are getting stalled are actually better leaders, right? The organization mm-hmm. research yep. would show research get, you know, organizations get better results, it's more inclusive, et cetera, et cetera. So why did I write the book? Because of this frustration <laughs> about, cause I was just furious. And then I kind of shifted it to being curious about mm-hmm. like, well, what is going on? And, and the research and which I spent part of the book unpacking is saying it actually does explain why certain people get ahead because they're very strong at interpersonal skills. They're strong at political skills. And that's what really propels you, particularly as you move up the ranks. So one was to, to help explain that. And I think counter some of the, some of this feel good leadership advice that's out there. Mm -hmm. And then the way I wrote the book was I'm an executive coach, which is helping individuals work through some of the challenges. I mean, we have a lot of us are upbringing. I mean, if we've had good upbringings or the cultural stories of work hard, keep your head down, I'm part Asian. So you hear that all the time and good work will happen. Well, look at most Asian Americans, right? They're the first hired, they're the last promoted. Ascend study. And we can apply this to lots of groups. And so I became curious about that. And I wanted to say, well, how can we help certain people without becoming some of those sharks they despise? And the book is then written in this framework 
that, that I use and I see a lot of executives have to go through as they understand yeah. power and politics, which is the focus of the book, which is to say, you know, how do you work through this? What seems like a conflict of values or things that are difficult? Oh, if I'm, if I'm networking, if I'm showing up strong, yeah. um, by default, like I'm not focusing on performance or things like that. So you have to kind of reframe that. And that's what the book helps you do and yeah. gives a lot of examples, diverse examples, and a lot of exercises, of many of which I use in my practice, but it's there to be a tool to help people, you know, first on their own. And if they need additional coaching, that's something they can, you know, talk about. But that's the way the book is laid out is, is that kind of process people need to go through because power and politics, as soon as I say those, right. Owing yep. negative connotations that we've got with it. So therefore we dismiss it and we ignore it at our peril. You, you know, I, I do want to just mention a couple of things. That, that last thing you just said, I, I was, I was having a conversation with the former deputy director, uh, political deputy director of this agency I used to work with. And he asked me what my um, my ambitions were, where I wanted to go. And I answered him a little hesitantly. Um, and he knew it. He knew there was more I wanted to say. And he's like, Alex, what, what do you really want to do? I'm like, well, actually, I want to be in this very senior level position. I want to have influence. I want to be able to affect policies and programs across the country. I want to be able to help people. And he was like, why didn't you say that the first time? Well, because if I say that stuff, people will look at me like, like I'm power hungry. Like, like all I want is myself. And he, he, he recommended this book called, I think it's called Love and Power. Mm. And you know, the synopsis basically you can't make any change without both love, positive change. You can't make any positive change without both love and power. You can be the nicest person. You care about the dolphins and the whales, but if you have no influence, nothing's going to happen. If you, you, on the other side, if you, if you have all the power, but you have no heart, then yeah, you're probably slaughtering whales and dolphins all the time. But if you have both of those, <laughs> sorry, if, if anyone's imagining dolphin burgers, I apologize. Um, What's it called? But if you have both of those, which is what you're talking about, those leaders who who should be in those positions moving up, if they can just develop their their political savvy, their networking, um, their interpersonal skills, like that is what you need to just do so much good. And that's also what I speak on. That's why I, I needed to be here to have this conversation with you. Yeah, it's it's the accelerator. And I, I, I like your analogy. I frame it in a slightly different way, which is, you know, if you've got power, but no internal compass, right? This is what we see in the most destructive leaders. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. you know, if you've got this great inner compass and you want to achieve certain stuff, but you haven't thought about power, or how to get stuff done, you're just daydreaming. <sighs> yeah. You're just daydreaming. So this is where it's really incumbent upon us to, I, I just use the analogy of power as fire. Okay. Is nothing more than a force. Hmm. It is not a like an innate thing that we that we that we have, and you can learn it and you can build it. And fire, right? Fire can yeah. do two things: it could destroy the whole city, or it can power the whole village, feed everyone, create mm -hmm. light. Yeah. And so it's a question of how you use it, and we'll we'll leave that to kind of our clients as to what are the ends they wish to achieve. And so forth. I, I try to stay non-judgmental about that, mm -hmm. but everyone has kind of a different agenda, and power can be the force that really accelerates it. 
You know, you also said one other thing that I wanted to hit on before making a complete left turn. Um, we talked about the the it's better for me to write an example. Like you think of like social media, like social media is like if you look at social media, like everyone is always having a wonderful time. I mean, they're living their best life. Everyone looks beautiful. Everyone just won the lottery or something ridiculous. Um, and you're like, oh, my God, their lives are so wonderful. Why aren't my life like that? I must be doing something wrong because they're doing all these really great things. And my life must suck, obviously. Um and we all know, I mean, hopefully more and more of us are knowing that that's not true. It's, it's a facade. People are picking and choosing what they're push posting. And on top of that, they have filters. Everyone has filters nowadays, right? And it makes me think of leaders as well, what you talked about earlier, which is this, oh, in order to be successful, all I need to do is be authentic. All I need to do is these, these wonderful, beautiful things. But we have to realize that even those most successful people, they're not sharing the worst parts of their life. They're not sharing the... That the things that they were, they're not exactly sure that they should have done. Like they're sharing those those wonderful things that are going to make them look good. Um, so you think you you, I feel like I, I really appreciate having this conversation because so many people need to hear this. If you're a manager in the federal government, do you have Feds Protection Professional Liability Insurance? Because if you don't, you need to get it. Having a Feds policy means that you will be protected against any professional capacity lawsuit, administrative action, or criminal investigation arising from actions taken in the scope of your employment. This insurance is a must-have for federal managers and starts at just $209 a year. Plus, your agency will reimburse you for half of this cost. To learn more, visit www.fedsprotection.com or call 866-955-3337 today. Absolutely. And I think this is also the, you know, I, I studied history <laughs> and, and we know that history is, is written or rewritten by the victors. And so, oh yeah, you're right. CEOs can sometimes be problematic when you go interview them. They first got an image to, to, to manage and they want to kind of rewrite the narrative in a way that looks makes them look good or, you know, does some service because, you know, they want people to embody these values, but it doesn't reflect how they mm. actually ascended yeah. <laughs> or broke through. Um, it's a little bit, sometimes you need to know how the sausage gets made. It's not mm. always pretty, but you need to understand what's going on in the kitchen that's producing that great meal that you're getting. Um, not always pretty. And this is where the book challenges a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. when I go out, I get a lot of your very Machiavellian <laughs> view of the world, <laughs> but I do say, you know, would you rather, you know, understand how the system works if you, if you want to operate in it or change it, Yeah. or would you rather just be told some feel good bromides, mm -hmm. which, yeah, they make you feel good. They get those endorphins going, but are they going mm -hmm. to help you? you? You know, one thing I, I do um, 
I feel like your book does is a really good addition to the 48 Laws of Power, right? A lot of people, a lot of people say the same thing about 48 Laws of Power, like, oh, it's so Machiavellian. It's, it's, it's a great book. And then if you, if you use the the analogy of, like you said earlier, the fire, like fire is not good, fire is not bad, fire just is. These are techniques and strategies that can be employed by good people, by bad people. Um, they're great suggestions, recommendations, techniques in that book. And I think your book does a really good job of of laying out why this stuff is important and, and, and trying to change the narrative in your mind versus just saying, hey, here's the strategies that you can use. Because I think, I, I just think that was a really, I, sorry, I just thought. No, I think that's a, that's a great point. And I think, um, you know, being exposed to these strategies, one of the things too around coaching and so forth is, you know, we're trying to widen people's perspective. So anytime you kind of go into a narrow frame mindset, you know, you miss potentially a wider set of options. And then, of course, from that wider set, you can choose what you're thinking or looking at doing that's going to make you effective. Um, I think sometimes 48 is a lot, right? So that's good kind of food for thought, which is why I really drilled the the research down into five areas. Um, And... And this is the larger point which you raise. Um, there is tremendous social science research <laughs> done by academics. And it's been around since the 70s, how you influence people, how we, we're biased in very predictable ways, how organizations consistently make you know, certain decisions. And so paying attention to that research, most of it kind of gets buried because it's written in academic speech. Um, So to kind of make that more accessible. And if you think about life too, Alex, as, um, you know, probabilities, we we don't live in like this certain world where absolutes are going to happen. If you could just up your odds 5% because you know a certain technique increases your odds of success, Mm -hmm. even 5%, right? I'm not a gambling person, but... (laughs) I would generally take those odds. Okay. It's not to say it's going to work hundred percent of the time, um, but to then pay attention to this and apply the, the evidence and, my, my, and more and more of it's getting done. I think there's great research and, and people are finding ways to make that more accessible, but I don't do research myself, but I read a lot of it because I think it's quite good and quite useful. No, no, same, same here. Same here. Um, I actually, uh, Again, it's, I told someone the other day, like, and I focus on teaching people how to network and build those relationships and whatnot. And they're like, oh, are you guaranteeing that I'm kind of guarantee I'm going to get a job or, or meet this person and we get a job. I'm like, look, the reality is no one can guarantee. I, I love, I, I always talk about probabilities as well. And the reality is that all you're doing is you're trying to add a percentage here, percentage here, percentage here, and, and, and increasing your percentage of success by 5%, by 10%, by 15%. Like those are significant odds when, when you're looking at not having any increased percentage chance, chance of being successful. I, I actually think of, um, oh, like the job market, right? Like people love to say, oh, I'm going to apply for a job. I'm applying for jobs. Well, we the reality is I think there's been numerous studies saying that most jobs, I think it's like 70% of jobs aren't posted online. Um, 
And then like 80% of jobs are filled in the black market, the black market, I, I call the black market being relationships. So if you're not, if you can stick your head in the sand all you want and say, oh, I'm just going to get my next job on my merits alone. My work stands for itself. Like you can stick your head in the sand all you want to. It's not going to change the facts, right? Absolutely. And I'll add to this, right? It's not only the, the job market out there. For a lot of the people who are in organizations like your clients in government, a lot of my clients in corporations, you know, there is an informal market inside those organizations mm-hmm. around the opportunities. These are the opportunities that someone has put into that takes them to the next level, that showcases them to the rest of the people. That is the stretch role. And those are given to <laughs> mm-hmm. someone labeled high potential, yep. someone who's got a sponsor in the room when they're mentioning this for the first time before there's, there's some interesting, I've read some interesting research about some companies that are experimenting of how to kind of more formally post those out there. But in 99.9% of the organizations, probably the ones that you're those listening are listening to those opportunities are not broadly advertised. They go through the informal network first And so if you are not tapped into that, visible to it, connected to it, you are at an inherent disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yes, we can hope and we can want certain people to identify us, to see us. And I think there are good leaders who do that. But, you know, don't hope. Take Mm -hmm. some of that also into your own hands and make sure you have visibility. Make sure you start to build relationships. Make sure you are starting to do and deliver value. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, there's pieces in the book. And I know you talk about some of these things that uh, people can do as well. So, so to, to, I want to ask you two questions. I know we're starting to wrap up, but two questions. One, you mentioned, um, you mentioned, uh, I love, I don't love how you said it, but um, Asian people. First in, last promoted. Um, I was reading an article this past weekend, specifically about Asian women, actually, um, in talking about that particular challenge and that um, there, I think they, re- studies have shown like they have the, on average, they have a very high income, but in regards to being in leadership position, they just don't get the opportunities, right? And it's because of those internal, those, those, those unconscious and conscious biases, I would say. Um, so my question is, is, you know, what if you are a woman? What if you're a person of color? What if you're a woman, a person of color? What What if you are one of these people who are who have to live the reality that there are unconscious and conscious biases towards you? What would you recommend they do just today? Broad statement to start progressing and accelerating their career. So one is to read chapter six in my book, okay? Because I go into this a lot of, of managing double binds. Um, but let me kind of unpack some pieces here and, and do answer directly your question. Um, first of all, let's just recognize and let's just admit that the system's not fair, okay? And that there is a lot of this bias that is going on mm-hmm. and that there are multiple ways to affect this and change it, right? Change the system, but that's gonna take time, legal, cultural things. And most of the people that we work with are have a window, right? It's a year, two years in your career or how I show up to the meeting next week. And so, you know, one of the things is to recognize what are things that build power? 
what are stereotypes that are at work and what types of things just kind of aping or copying the behaviors you might see, for example, in the dominant group. And, and I'm talking in, here in a U.S. context. I have a real global clientele. But if we look in kind of the U.S. for um, so let's say white males, you may not be able to kind of totally mimic that behavior. But there are certain things you can do, right, that still show people are looking for decisiveness or, you know, strong opinions without like banging your hands on the table. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so to think about very important kind of how you show up, how you may take like strengths that may be kind of stereotypically women, right? Women care. And I'm, I'm going very stereotypical here. Yeah. So let's be sensitive to that, but kind of bringing that in as a strength. And so there are ways to kind of navigate this. Now, if it gets very frustrating and you think about, Oh, you've got to manage all these things. It's true. Right. But these groups have always had it harder. Yeah. Um, but I would say here, a huge piece, a huge driver, again, pieces of the book here is to start getting sponsors, allies in the organization, because those people are also the ones who are going to kind of help you. And you may not have that in every organization. <laughs> and, and so if you don't, you know, consider other places. We are living in the great resignation. It's, a, it's an employee's market these days of, hey, taking your skills elsewhere in a place that you're going to thrive. Um, so I'd say this is not an easy answer as much as we would like one, but I think also just hoping that like diversity programs that are run in a place are suddenly going to make things better. I'm fairly pessimistic that most in power are going to suddenly change the rules that benefit them. And the research would show that those in power don't actually see much of the bias and that a diversity program actually will make them feel better. Like, Oh, we've addressed it now. Now suddenly the, you know, it's not. So I think some of these techniques, and I think you need to, because there is the, the, this counter that I get to that, okay, so if women are leaning in to kind of use this, uh, you know, mm-hmm. one expression, or they're getting sponsors, or they're showing up more strongly, right? Are they kind of copying behaviors that are white male leadership? Anyway, I, I think you have to also consider the, what I would say is called the, the counterfactual. Mm-hmm. So if you don't do any of this stuff, you know, where does that leave you? And it, so you may not be moving at all in the organization. So looking at those things, thinking about the things you can do, building strong networks, Many of the things I talk in the book, ensuring you got visibility, being a self-advocate, and then, you know, you start to, you get to the tipping point also in organizations as more of those people get to positions where they have a seat at the table and a voice around policy, around change, things are going to change and get better. I, I love it. I'm going to ask you one more question and we're going to, we're open the, the, the floor for you to say any final thoughts you have. That. But you made me think you said be a self-advocate. Um, being a self-advocate doesn't mean that you're being selfish. It doesn't mean you're just being selfish. Um, you, you can be, you can be, you can advocate for yourself in a way that you're advocating for yourself and others, right? Um, you can do both. It's not a zero sum game. I, I, we just need more and more people to understand this. And I think it's a lot of it is feeling actually. I think so many people, um, so many people feel bad, even though they know 
the right information. They, they have the tools. They know whatever they're doing is not working. They know they're not enjoying where they are. They know they want more in life. And they know there are strategies out there that you and me and other leaders in the area are teaching and, and sharing with them. And they know that, you know, they, in somewhere in their mind, they know, you know what, that's probably going to work. But I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to feel selfish. I don't want to feel like one of the bad guys in the movie. And I think people, we, we have to, we have to work to find a place where we can understand it is it is okay to not want to have a difficult life. Like if if it's okay to want good for you and your family, it's it's okay. Now again, I sorry I went on this this kind of rant for a second. Um, the last question I want to throw at you real quick is, oh sorry, did you have something you want to yeah, share? Yeah, <laughs> I, I do because I think this is a great thread, and it's in fact a very useful strategy that people can take when they run into this and say, you know what, self-advocating is all about me. Yeah. If you think for a moment, who else is going to benefit from you advocating or doing better, whether that's more impact, getting promoted, et cetera? Well, could be your family, (laughs) Mm -hmm. could be your team underneath you, could be a larger set of people who see a role model like you upwards. And, you know, if you actually, and many, I think the thoughtful people who think about, well, I'm doing this not just for myself, but for a larger cause or a larger group of people. Yeah. That actually is like this judo yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, a yeah. superpower to say, you know what? I'm not going in and being crass and just like, ah, it's all about me, me, me. It's about all these people with me. Then all of a sudden, like, okay, it's not just about me and I'm advocating for a larger group. And that actually research would show (laughs) helps a lot of groups do better in negotiations, et cetera. And so I I see that with a lot of leaders of like, well, you know, if you're not going to do those things, all the people underneath you are not going to get opportunities Mm. because your group, your initiatives aren't growing. They're going to stagnate. And guess what? We do like to go with winners. We like to go where there's growth and they're going to go somewhere else. So if you really care about other people, then you really should be doing these things. That is a great point. Everyone, start self-advocating. Come on, let's do this. <laughs> Hashtag yeah, so I think it's a way to help, help a lot of people. I, I, I truly, truly, truly agree with you 100%. Um, look, I know you got somewhere important to be. I think you said you got to talk to the, the, the president of Dubai or something, really. President of Dubai. Some, so I know we got to jump off. But... Really quickly, do you, do you have any final thoughts, ideas, anything you'd like to just share with our audience as we wrap up? It's the important point of, you know, challenge a lot of the status quo, right? If you're always reading the same things, if you're always watching the same things and, and believing the same way, um, then it's almost impossible to kind of challenge your own thinking. And that's not to say another side is right, but embracing kind of other ideas to challenge your thinking and to take the look at the evidence, I think is something that's really going to help a lot of people. And it's why I I wrote the book. So I would say it's going to push a lot of buttons. I'd like to kind of lay it out in a thoughtful way, but get people to really think about this and ultimately be able to help themselves, help their causes, and help other people. 
that's what I would offer, Alex. Well, 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 well. You know what we're going to say. You know what I'm going to say. Come on, now, everyone. Let's say it with me. One, two, three. If you found anything of value from today's talk, don't keep it to yourself. Don't look back. Reach back. Bring someone else to the table. Take this information to them, whether you watch this on YouTube, whether you listen to it on a podcast, wherever you found this information, click share, click like, comment, whatever it is to make sure other people have the opportunity to, to, to grow and benefit from the stuff that you yourself found valuable. Man, this is a good conversation. Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate being here with you. And Alex, I, I really enjoyed here being with you and having the conversation. Thank you. Sir, as, a, as always, everyone, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Executive Appeal with Alex Trumbull. I invite you to follow The Executive Appeal wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me, your host, Alex Trumbull, across all socials or via email for exclusive webinars, courses, and speaking engagements on continued topics of executive leadership. So until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving.